yeah, no, this is, this is it. This is where it all ended. I am on my knees in the bathroom, cry heaving. And she, ugh, Tabby starting over. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. It's like my, my penis is a divining rod for borderlines. Tabby is here. Let us now praise difficult women. Let us now praise difficult women and vilify the difficult men who made them worse. It's like we were a match made in the clinical trial of antidepressants. Tabby! All right, Tabby, meow mixed. All right, Tabby is meow mixed into silence. Let's do this quick. So picture the worst L'Oreal ad you can picture. Let's go, girls. Need a mascara that goes on fast while your boyfriend vomits blood behind you? Introducing Visible Annoyance from L'Oreal Paris. The only mascara that won't fade, no matter how many times your piece of shit partner makes you cry. No wonder there's one thrown at a lover every five seconds. L'Oreal, because he's worthless. Man, I feel like a woman. So in case Shania Twain makes us cut that, um, she's focused on the mirror as I'm puked behind her. And she's, she's completely stone-faced. And I tell her, I'm like, look in the toilet. Look in the toilet. You can look in the toilet and you can see I haven't been lying. So she turns and she glances into the bowl and she blinks and she says, That's spit. You're fine. And I knew then, I knew with a certainty, a generalized anxiety disorder sufferer never feels. I knew this was the moment. After 419 fights, 14 makeup sexes, 50-something, I'm sorry, this, this never happened. 84 tantrums, 36 tantrums over calling them tantrum. tantrums, 74 nudes, one male nude, 1,342, I, I can't, can't do this, do this anymore. anymore, 96 tears, is a song that I really liked and she hated. 47, no, I'm too, uh, sorry, I'm too tired. 46, you're, you're always, always too tired. Too tired. 926 milligrams of Xanax. 2400 milligrams of Cymbalta. 12.5 milligrams of Cialis because of Cymbalta. 320 milligrams of Tramadol. 16 Bolico. Pokemon Benadryl. 547 milligrams of THC. Bag of mushrooms? It's a bag of mushrooms. <laughs> mushrooms. mushrooms. It's a bag of, bag of mushrooms. 1,314,000 milligrams of Adderall. Woo! Meow, meow. Pet city team. What do we do? Four tabs of acid? Four tabs of acid? Four tabs of acid. <coughs> 5,756 cigarettes. Less than two minutes of trying to correlate something. Just one, one makeover to look like a woman. One lie about how many times I dress like a woman. 4,537 miles. One. We're in a long distance relationship, but I feel you make the distance even wider. <sighs> so after all that, I knew. You know, you knew the relationship was over. And there was really only one thing left to do now. Go on a two-week trip to New England to visit her family. Here's the, uh, here's the theme song. It's a mashup I paid someone to do of our two favorite songs. The metaphor is it meshes very poorly.
right, so that's my rewinding sound. So I'm not sure. I'm still not really sure why OkCupid thought it matters not and organic sarcasm were an 85% match and only a 12% enemy, which I'm also actually not sure why I haven't sued for a faulty algorithm. I'm not, I'm not being completely flippant. So with self-driving cars, there's this question of like who to sue if there's an accident. Do you sue the car maker? Do you sue the driver? Do you sue the software that allowed the accident to happen? So why, if you can do that, if you could sue the software that caused the accident to happen, why can't I sue the algorithm that caused this accident? Okay, well, what about suing a lawyer for emotional damages? No, that's idiotic. All right, giving the algorithm the benefit of the doubt, maybe it knew I liked exotic. Exotic as in, I don't want something like what I grew up with, not exotic in a non-PC way, though also that. I just, I need something that shows I'm progressivier than now. So she wrote in her profile that she was reading Lolita and loved Harold and Mark. And I thought, all right, positive signs. Both are really about problems of different ages dating, and we were eight years apart. So if I had to guess about the algorithms, maybe that is why we matched. The okay Cupid algorithm knew how many tall women had rejected me so far. So living in LA and the world made me feel like I have to be something really special for her to respond to someone who bought their bar mitzvah suit at Napoleon's Closet. So. Not a good, not a good. Still not sure if she was worth a drive to Pasadena. Then I saw the answers to her sex questions. For do you masturbate, she wrote, ain't "Ain't nothing nothing like like home cooking. cooking. I snorted, which is the closest I do to laugh. So nothing makes me laugh. Maybe kids falling down and like animals wearing tuxedos. So I thought she was, she's worth a drive to Pasadena. Pre and post traffic. When I was younger and not depressed and wanted to actually do things, I had this idea where I would like go to a bar and enact different animals' mating rituals, shooting love darts like a garden snail, drinking potential mate's urine like a giraffe. Any of those probably would have, in retrospect, been better than what I actually did on my first date with her. But idea still appeals to me. So here is... Nature Doc Impresario, Sir David Attenborough, narrating Jalay and me meeting in the suburban jungle. This is the flower and tea watering hole in Pasadena. The female, known as Jalay, is waiting in the center of the space. That's her there, reading Lolita. Could this be a signal that she is open to meeting older men? Almost certainly not, say female researchers. While Jale believes she has the overbite of a Eurasian beaver, she is mistaken. Only a smidge of upper incisor is revealed when she unselfconsciously grins. Who is to say... She isn't beautiful. Life in the urban jungle can change in an instant, and it does so now, as the doors of flower and tea suddenly crash open. Joshua steps inside. As with all males, he must be careful with his first mating overture, avoiding anything that may frighten a potential partner. 
You see this dragonfly? He shouts across the space. There's a huge dragonfly outside that window. <sighs> Let us take a closer look at this creature. With a hefty murse, he is signaling, I am not trying to mate. His hair, which mimics a feral sheep, signals the same. His theatrical entrance seems to say, I am unique. I am not like any other date you have gone on. I am obviously single and clearly not a threat to you or any other male or female or child in this establishment or any other. Okay, we get it. Thank you. Notice how nearby hominids are irked by his nervous energy. New research, however, reveals that this behavior may serve an adaptive function. Joshua suffers from panic attacks that result in projectile vomiting or fire hose defecation. Psychiatrists believe that when Joshua first meets a potential partner, he pretends he's known them for years as a way of relaxing himself and his gut microbiome. Ah, yes, there, look. He is approaching with his signature mannerisms, or manure-isms. But what is this? Jali's lips stretch back in a canine snarl, but then she reveals that tooth smile. The two exchange patter. Jali says she wasn't sure he was screaming to her, then recalled he wrote in his profile that he'd never before been out in public. Joshua points to Lolita and says he wants to clear this up now. He doesn't want to mate with young girls. He just wants their metabolism. Do not let this burst of extroversion fool you. Cheetahs outrun humans. Yes, yet this is only in sprint. In a marathon, humans consistently outrun these large felines. So it is with Joshua. His socialness can only be sustained for sprint-like bursts. It will soon dissipate, and he will require an isolated hibernation to refresh. Lest Jalet feel any positive feelings towards him, he now rises from the table, moves to the macaron display, flashes his Amex Gold Sky Miles card as though this signals something profound, and again shouts to her, What do you want? It's a $5 minimum. I don't want to waste money on nothing. Jali shouts back that it's only fair. By paying to take the bus here, she's wasted money on nothing. They share a smirk. And she asks why there are no maps or timetables at Los Angeles bus stops, only ads for movies. She rants, I don't know when the bus is coming, but I know when some fucking panda movie is coming out. Sorry, we need to we need to pause here for a second. Uh, so that the panda line that was a verbatim quote from our first meeting. I had never met anyone who swore so much. Maybe my first therapist. So while I have pages of her quotes, we're gonna have more on that in a second. Don't have many recordings of her, but a couple I do have easily able to pull this together. Damn shit! Awesome shit. What the fuck? And they're full. No, this is actually fucking empty. Oh, God damn it! You're such a dick. This is fucking. This is ridiculous. What the fuck? Oh, you're fucking. <laughs> I'm not fucking with you. Right now. Holy shit. What the fuck? What the fuck? 
Actually, all this, it reminds me of this line she said about articles headlined like, swearing is a sign of intelligence. She said, uh, How many articles do we create to make ourselves feel better about shitty qualities we have? Where is this going? This is derailing. And so, after 30 minutes, Jale signals that she is ready to depart. This is of little surprise, as we have witnessed better interactions between lame gazelles and starving lions. But wait. Look there. It appears she is asking him if he wants to migrate with her. How these two creatures got together remains one of nature's great mysteries. <sighs> what a load of bollocks. I would believe an intelligent design over this man not dying alone. His series should be entitled Blue Ball Planet. Just, just water. Just water. You don't drink coffee. You don't drink beer. You fucking pasteurized. Do you have any vices? Some, sometimes I get the water with a slice of lemon. No, I, I don't know. Use Cymbalta. Wow. Ooh. It's like you're showing me a brochure for the Hindenburg. Do you think do you think they called it Berg because it's big and gassy like lots of Orthodox Jews? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's what this is about. You're just trying to find a fuck bubby. I thought, I, I can build up a tolerance to this woman. So if you're an eagle-eyed, I guess you wouldn't be eagle-eyed. What would be rabbit-eared? So if you're a rabbit-eared listener, you would have noticed that there was a little dearth of swearing in the previous scene. Correct. That's because that was not Jale Ganbari. That was Rachel Peters. She's this actor comedian I found after really months of disappointing auditions that led to no dearth of swearing on my side. So it's kind of interesting how like the smallest things can like. So okay, so I knew I'd found my Jale when Rachel muttered this simple, almost like throwaway line during her audition. I had to stop because there was a dog barking. I told him to be quiet. Because I knew I had this line of Jalais. Who cares if a fucking dog's in it? Oh, neither line sold me. It was actually Rachel's response when I tried to explain to her how I wanted actor Jalais' dog line to be answered by real Jalais' dog line. I actually want to do something about how I have someone playing her. Okay, cool. And I have her actually saying, who cares if a fucking dog is in it? So I actually want her to answer you of saying there's okay. a dog. That makes no sense. It will once you It does you're not. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. It makes no sense. I, I don't know why. Because I can, I can see your eyes. Like, I don't know what he's doing. So the previous scene, the one in, in Congregation Ale House, that was Rachel and me. But the dialogue was very close to Jalet and I's actual exchange. So since 2000, I've carried around this pocket recorder everywhere I go. I got it to record like walk and brainstorm sessions, but quickly started recording anyone's good lines to steal. Uh, currently, I'm at like 113 pages. Uh, the person with the most entries, that would be the only person who, quote, made the quote book, that quote is not in the quote book, multiple times on the first day I met them. Is this based on a real person? Oh, actually, most of these lines are verbatim. Oh, wow. So if you think any of the following bits of conversation uh, include good lines, they're verbatim jalets. So she drank and I ate a pretzel. 
Well, I ripped apart a pretzel and moved around my plates where it looked like I ate because I was too nervous to eat. I don't really believe in God, but if I did, I'd think he's a writer without an outline. Hetero women. Definitely got the worst part of the deal. Nothing is sadder than a strip club on a fucking Tuesday night. So when the bill came, she offered to split it. I waved her cash away, said my welcome gift to L.A., and I wanted the Sky Miles. <sighs> and only when the waitress took the check away did she say... 15%? Huh? Impressed you could read that much of my handwriting. Is that a West Coast thing? I give 20% minimum. Who am I? Eli Broad? And if I was, <laughs> I would pay someone to explain that reference. This is, this is the problem with things. All well and good until you get your credit card state. It, like, 15 20%. is... It, it doesn't matter what coast... No, it does. 20% is standard. I, I have a... Here, here's a solution. Okay. I try to be 20% better when first meeting people, especially on first dates. Okay. So we will do 20% today. So we pattered on over to the tip jar and... What are you doing? Why are you waiting? Well, you need you need to let him see the tip in the jar. What? Why? As a waitress, I can tell you, you don't. We don't care. Then what, it just magically appears? If someone else is going to get the credit. You want you someone else to get the credit. Why does that matter? You want them to remember that you are a big tipper. Then they treat huh. you better next time. They bring you your water quick. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yes, of course. Because I'm going to ask for the table with the guy who ordered a single pretzel and no alcohol. I want that guy. Ooh, I want that check. I'm going to wait outside. She did, and I tipped, making sure they saw. P.S. P.S. I also started leaving 20% that day, as long as they see. Smoke? What? Smoking? Marlboro menthol. Yeah, I smoke. What tax bracket are you in? It's really only the wealthy or the poor that smoke. Okay, I guess. I don't know. New Hampshire, meeting up in Pasadena. Yeah, no car, one suitcase, living in my aunt's spare room. You know, you'd uh, have a lot more savings if you, you tip 15%. I'm not even going to crack a smile for that shit. It's not funny anymore. <sighs> Are you okay with me smoking? Or I could give you a sign to hold that says ostracized. You know, I, actually, I think I have some leftover in my car. We screamed about American dragonflies in a, in a crowded tea house. That one? Did you use Feisty leather jackets, leopard sunglasses, smoking a cigarette, you know? Maybe eight years younger than me, but you're also eight years cooler than me. What does that... <laughs> that is her actual laugh. I, I miss it. I miss it. Let's, let's run it again. <laughs> Rule of three, let's one more time. So I told her I didn't want her seeing any ads for fucking panda movies, and I'd, I'd give her a ride home. So I arrived at her aunt's house, and I said I wanted to give her, like, a consolation prize for not being allowed to smoke in Harry Homo Pomo. Where's my purse? I don't know. Check your vagina. So she reached into my vagina, handed me my purse slash purse. I got out my pillbox knee Altoid container, and I handed her an Adderall. She took it. And she looked a little uneasy. Okay, so in reality, I had this whole scene here where Jalet was concerned I could be trying to roofie her since all the Adderall she abused were orange, not blue. And I was like, why, why would I roofie you and leave? It would make sense for me to roofie you and leave. And also, the only reason mine are blue is because I paint in that color so women think I'm taking Viagra. 
trying to act that out with Rachel went about as well uh, as the actual exchange okay. with Jale. Yeah, this needs, it just feels dark. It does get does very it, dark. It well, because I mean, like, yeah, not. also what woman in her right mind would actually take that and keep it? She did. That actually, this is, this is almost oh, really? Rebecca. Yeah. So when she would talk about wow. her first meet, this is what, well, she wanted Adderall. And I, I could not rely on my personality to keep her coming back. It's like, sorry about me. Here is some Adderall. It's like an asshole tax. All right. Let's, it's, let's just move on. Let's just, okay. uh, I got to look at that. We're just going to pick up near the end of the scene. Well, uh, I guess when you take it, you should take it with a grain of amphetamine salt. Bad. You should take that amphetamine piece of salt and stick it up your ass. (laughs) I need a fucking roofie to forget that joke. (laughs) I've never met someone who swore so much. Yeah, you've never been to New Hampshire before, have you? I've tasted moxie. I will never visit the state that invented it. Okay. <laughs> you told me to open what it. What the hell is this? No, that's not how. <laughs> you told me to So when I was outlining this whole thing, I had here as a note, miss her and want to stay here and why doing this, and depression, and needing reason beyond because. Which made me think, it makes me think of, we're like the back to the future generation. Yeah, I mean, it's about, yes, it's about those born between 75 and 85 who have a fervent love of the film. But it's also because of the name. Because I think there's a reason why we continue to obsess over films like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Goonies, Ferris Bueller. And that's just because my generation had the best movies that we did. It's not simply that like 80s kids are now making creative decisions. And I, yes, I realize that Back to the Future nostalgic the 50s. You just don't see the same cultish devotion for a period of culture like you do with ours. Nintendo, Michael Jackson, Transformers, wrestling, scrunchies. We're a generation of a past generation. And honestly, for a woke and ironic generation, sure seem to be protective and unironic when it comes to the 80s. Try it. So ask a Gen Xer if it would be okay to have a movie with a Libyan terrorist spouting Arabic-esque gibberish. Let him finish the diatribe. Ask him about that scene in Back to the Future. See the reaction. Oh my God. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for it, Who? Who? Or you can just, you don't even need to find some Gen X or be around me when I go into my rant of how George McFly hired his wife's rapist to work at their house. See, there's Biff out there waxing right now. Cows, moo, cows, moo, as if we don't know what cows are. So cows are classified as ruminants. These are mammals that regurgitate material from one stomach back to the other until it's completely processed where we get the word ruminate from. I think that's what our generation does best, ruminate. And it's why we, I think it's why we continue to watch those films, wear them, replay them, reboot them. And it's why I can't digest all of this. Six hours after dropping her off, she texted me saying she had some argument with her aunt and she was uncomfortable being in the house. Gentleman I am, I said I wasn't driving back to Pasadena, but if she made it to my house, the futon was hers. 
until I made her feel uncomfortable. She came over that night and never left, which is good because I need long periods of alone time. So about to do the, uh, this quick like newsreel montage of our relationship from here to the opening scene. Just a few quick bullet points to get out before we get there. Inviting over that night, very unlikely. Very unlike me. I outlined, long-handed, rewrote, typed every OkCupid email to her and anyone else I wrote to. So, but you know, there was always a part of me that wanted the whirlwind romance. Yes, what I got was a hurricane romance. So yeah, Jalet would respond to that line with a jerk-off motion, kind of sliding her hand up and down, 45-degree angle, and you know, bursting the fist open. In case people don't know what jerking off looks like, high rolls were not enough for her, or maybe she had to upgrade because of me. Anyway, given, given the jerk-off ubiquity in our relationship, I need a way to convey them now. Here's the audio I'm going to use for material that would earn a uh, jalet jerk-off. Oh, my God. So I'm saying it now, but first month I knew her, worked around saying her name because I was afraid I was saying it wrong. Uh, fear was founded, if it's genetic, because my father never once has gotten it correct. Here he is like, two weeks ago when I asked him about the woman I went to New England. Uh... Jalel. Jalel. What is that? Jalel. Jalil. Always loved going from father to jerk off. Um, and I expect a jerk off for this, but it's true for me. Laughter, strongest aphrodisiac. I felt the closest to love, whatever one thinks is. I felt the closest to love. We were out walking on this Tuesday morning a few weeks into the relationship. And she said, No idea what that movie, The Constant Gardener, is about but I'm guessing it's about LA. Okay, just one more bullet point left. Uh, finally, we need to preamble this exchange. Yeah, I feel like I'm another cat in your life. I do a lot of lounging. You feed me often and I wake you up. Well, yeah, yeah I, I, I do like taking in strays. All right, Jolly, it's, you always wanted it. Sorry it took so long, but here it is. A montage of our relationship done via bathroom. News on the toilet. Dateline. Josh's bathroom. Jolly is slipping on hot sunglasses. Josh is slipping into a life-size operation board game. This isn't some queer hanky-panky. It's Halloween night, four days after the prickly pair met. Don't get your fatwa in a twist, Ayatollah. She's been catching Z's on the futon. Mother Nature only gave out tricks this year, filling the pair's costumes with a not-so-fun-sized deluge. Confound it, the romantic picture show started early. Wait, don't shoot the projectionist just yet. That's Josh leading in for a first peck as they towel each other's hair dry. Hey, Herman, nice cliched moment for a palooka preoccupied with novelty, you rat fink hack. Screaming cats and dehydration can only mean one thing. Whoopee. The New Hampshireite is in bed. The Jew can't do right? In the bathroom, of course. Whispering thank you, Cymbalta, and anxiety as he swigs a Cialis. Looky here. It's dinner and a show for his flat tire as he now croons the opening of Sexual Healing to his tater tot. Are you singing in there? Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Moses parting the Red Sea. 
Close, but no Deca-Luckies. Josh hoses Jale's soiled sandals beside an abandoned toilet in Bombay Beach after the peaked poetess slipped into the Salton Sea. Watch out for that first step, ladies. It's a disease-ridden cesspool. In this corner, Jale Shawajen Ganbari. And in this corner, Hands of Stone Brewery Hooch. Bam! KO'd in round point zero eight. And Jale is crawling to the commode after another night of celebrating Prohibition's repeal eight decades earlier. I'm so high and so dry. I'm sailing in the sky. I got my roach around and I can't come down. Dateline, Sim City. Go tell Alice that Josh and Jale popped Xanax, dropped acid, puffed reefer, and snorted cocaine. Yes, it's a whirlpool of heebie-jeebies and panic at the El Cortez Hotel and Casino. But enough about resort fees. Zing-a-ding! But seriously, they're in horrible shape. He's on the bathroom floor crying about unoriginal sin. She's dumping water on her head and accusing Josh of being Satan. So we need to pause here for a moment, little quick theme break. I think there's something appropriate about all of this orbiting around bathrooms. Freud, at anal stage, wasn't about defecation. It was about how harboring and releasing things manifests in things like miserliness and impulsiveness, about holding on and letting go. And I think this whole story really is about letting go or holding on. So that's something called gastrocolic reflex. Uh, unless I take three Imodium an hour before eating, rush into the bathroom 10 minutes after bite one. In contrast, all my exes seem to suffer from at least some kind of mild constipation. Just... It feels appropriate that their bodies don't know when to let things go or were unable to pass something making him sick. Oh, my God. Dateline, San Diego. It's a roomie with a view at Jale's grad school abode. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Orchestra belts from a Victrola. An homage to SDSU Southern Amigo? No. Senior Herman blares this brassy buffet whenever he uses the banyo in this echo chamber of a guest house. Que lastima! The great stall of China. We drop in at the Dumpling Inn as Jolly's about to say one of Josh's favorite lines. Chinese fortune cookies should just always have the same fortune. I see a toilet in your future. Dateline, Josh's bathroom, 822 days after the prickly pair first met. This whole event is pretty horrible. And since I can't digitally transmit Xanax, maybe the closest I can do is maybe play some pure moods in the background. Mm, still not enough. I'm going to have the entire sequence narrated slash reenacted by some of the world's most wholesome characters. Uh, this isn't this isn't recollection either. Uh, because of what you're about to hear and what it led to, I needed some emergency therapy with an emergency therapist. So this is verbatim, verbatim, what I sent to Dr. Terzian with just a couple of minor tweaks for characters, which are narration by Mary Poppins, Steve Irwin as Josh, and Mickey Mouse as Chalet. First of all, I would like to make one thing quite clear. 
I never explain anything, but twenty shillings is twenty shillings. We were due to fly to Baltimore from Los Angeles on a bright Tuesday morning in late July. Alas, the evening prior I developed a dreadful ache in my stomach. As with all those with a Semitic disposition, I suffer from various gastrointestinal ailments, and believed this at first to be a gas pocket. Naturally, I tried all the tricks and tropes that barely worked in the past. Muscle relaxing tonics, hot baths, contemplating corkscrewing my stomach, but the pain positively persisted. And by the time the rooster greeted the dawn, I could barely move. Need to pause here again. Yes, sorry, I know it's annoying. It might even solve my bias concerns. But with how much this pocket of gas would impact our relationship, I need, I need to fucking pulverize this dead horse. I cannot overstate the amount of pain I was in. Imagine your stomach is a small closet. So now imagine one of those uninflated bouncy castles, the ones in the backyards. Shove that uninflated castle into the closet and inflate it. No, wait, not done yet. So now imagine all your clothes and hangers and hidden porn are your organs. So as the moon bounce expands, it presses against all these organs and their pain receptors with the amount of pressure typically reserved for visceral trauma, which causes the body to send intense signals of pain, indicating something is traumatically amiss. So I know it's metaphor on metaphor, but I, I really need to bloat this point until you also can feel the pain of it. So here's a gastroenterologist explaining it. I'm uh, Dr. Mark Piper. I'm part of Digestive Health Associates, along with Ascension Providence, for which I'm an assistant professor at Michigan State University College of uh, Human Medicine. I'm a gastroenterologist. The way pain in abdominal pain kind of works is, you know, this is how I picture it. Let's say your intestines are one big balloon that just starts from your mouth and goes to your anus, and it's one long balloon. Uh, and on the outside of the balloon, you have a bunch of strings. You can think of them like guitar strings or violin strings that connect to your spinal cord and go to your brain. When things change in your intestines, whether they get distended from gas or they twist or you have an infection, they start to move a lot, information or those strings are, are vibrating uh, at a faster rate. And that's, that's the way I think about the pain. So once you, that starts vibrating, it goes to your spinal cord and your brain and it tells you that you're feeling a lot of pain. You know, there's that pain scale where you point to your face, yeah, right? The, uh, yeah. the amount of pain you're feeling and you have the, you point to faces. Shouldn't they add more faces for the pain of a gas pocket? <laughs> they're, the tension is different at one strings and they're different at different, different times even in a, in a person. So uh, sometimes you may find that this is happening a lot that your strings are just like hypersensitive and they're just always causing pain. And for some people where this doesn't happen that much, it might be from other reasons. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It sounds too much like a symphony to me. It almost sounds beautiful with the way you described it. I mean, you have guitar strings and violin strings. Yeah, let's just head back to the original material. Um, we're picking up when I woke up Jale in the morning. So I told Jale. Yes. Me, sorry, sorry again. Need to another quick modification. Uh, so I tried it with Steve Irwin, but for some reason, casting a beloved ADD Australian with a passion for, for animals made Josh more likable. Crikey, another Steve Irwin cliches. I'm in so much pain, feels like Crocs biting me gastrocolic reflex. So to try to balance the, the bias a bit more, uh, I went ahead and I cast a villain to play Josh. Uh, someone who's existence, voice, intonation, everything 
makes me long for uh, sloth nails on a chalkboard. Morning, DJs. I'm in excruciating pain. Kept me up all night. It's killing me. Think it's my appendix or kidney or something. I need to visit urgent care right away. Jolly's response. Uh-huh. You're lying. I don't believe you. You're lying. No. No. I'm in so much pain. I can't even stand up fully. It hurts to move. You're a fucking liar. Naturally, I told Jarley that she could fly to BWI and I'd follow on a later flight. Jarley, mad as a hatter, began preparing for the flight. Meanwhile, I returned to the downstairs water closet where I showered and researched. I returned to a very ill-tempered indeed Jarley and told her... I found we can move the flight to later in the day for no change of cost. I'll be able to head to urgent care now and we can take the later flight together. You're lying. You're fine. I'm taking the flight we were scheduled for. I don't even care if you're coming out later. Actually, I wish you didn't fucking come at all. <laughs> I was flabbergasted and began pleading with the perturbed Persian that we could both go together if she merely waited five hours. And the later flight was direct, so we'd arrived in the old line state a wee two hours later than initially scheduled. Oh, boy. I've been waiting eight months to see my sister. Go. Go to fucking urgent care. Go to wherever the fuck you want. Get the fuck out of my way, huh? Rare during our quarrels, I began crying in disbelief. I'm saying I need to go to urgent care, and you're mad at me? What are you talking about, Will? We can go together in a few hours. Just let me go to urgent care first. Didn't you hear what I fucking said? Or are your ears really sick, too? I knew this would happen. You never wanted to go. And you don't even fucking need to lie, because I don't want you going. I told her I'd vomited blood like a chimney sweep on Job Seeker's Allowance Day. She said she didn't believe me. Fucking please, huh? I don't even fucking know we'd go on a later flight. What if you're not feeling better then, huh? You don't know, but I really want to fly with you. Even if I can't make the later flight, you can take that one instead. And you'll still get there only a few hours later. Jarley reiterated she was going on the scheduled flight that I was a dramatic piece of rubbish, that she didn't want me going anyways. I utterly broke down and sniveled and sobbed. Please, please, just let me go to urgent care. Then I'll go. I, I don't want to ruin your trip. Don't want to ruin my trip, huh? You 100% already have. Words can be as sharp and quick as any umbrella point, and these struck me hard. I rushed to the loo to paint the porcelain. Shortly thereafter, Jarley entered to put on her face. But that's another story for another cold open. So even with the above casting, still a little worried it might come off as biased. Of course not. Why would it be your fault? Yes, I am hearing your voice in my head. So here is how one of America's greatest lawyers, literary, might argue yourself. I'm Atticus Finch. I felt obligated to return from To Kill a Mockingbird to speak to you about another grave injustice in American society. Jalay Gonbari is not guilty, but somebody in this courtroom is. Jalay had every reason to suspect Joshua Herman was lying to avoid going on that trip. Indeed, he only initially agreed to join Jale 
as an apology for an awful Valentine's Day gift. And he'd use any excuse he could muster to avoid driving to San Diego. His cat was purring oddly. Ways was not working properly. He had a feeling something would happen on the 405. Why, we even have evidence he once purchased dry ice, placed it in the hood of his car, then took photographs, sending them to Jale with the caption, Smoke everywhere, heading home, hope I make it. Indeed, early in the relationship, when explaining how anxious slash excited Jale made him feel, he said, you're the face that launched a thousand shits. I would like to enter into evidence Brenda Yu's suicide note, where she blamed... Oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. That's just, it's important. Sure, it'll be presented at my trial in hell. Need to table it for the moment. I'm invoking editorial authority. Let's gavel, gavel over to the next. For those in the jury unaware, there's a genre of Japanese pornography called bukake. Bukake is when a group of men coat a woman in their semen. Let the record show that Josh and Jale attempted to coin the term jukake to refer to Mr. Herman's affinity to puke on scores of things. Yes? Naturally, I've heard the same arguments as you have. How even if dating a Semite stomach, if your partner says they need urgent care, you take them. Why, some in the psychiatric and Herman family community have even suggested Jale was being irrational. Very well. Let us assume, for the moment, that Jale was not acting rational. Now, who in this courtroom could have possibly driven her crazy? Who? You know the answer. But please, don't take my word for it. Take those he's collected. I have never met a man who is more affectionate with strangers' dogs. Please try to lose the pen a second and think of me a little. He's just an average guy with an outrageous head of hair. Josh's version of Google. Why are you asking that? Why do you want to know that? Is this what you want? Are you sure that's what you want? Seems like he's trying to get 65 seconds into every minute. Josh is like a blowjob for your nerves. I can't believe no one has killed you yet. Ever since you've been in my life, I've been teaching myself denial and blindness. What he lacks in physical affection, he makes up for not asking me lots of questions of where I've been at night. You're a workaholic who doesn't get paid. If I had a penis, I would slap you with it. Oh, Josh, you probably spend more time on the toilet than you do on me. Miss you. Would you mind repeating your last quote? Oh, Josh, you probably spend more time on the toilet than you do on me. It's like you hope sex leads to a makeup argument. You gave me a lot of crap, and I ate it by the spoonful. Your doormat should say, Abandon all hope, ye that enter. After hearing this testimony, I understand if you want to drive Josh to urgent care for a lethal dose of morphine. 
And now I will say something to the court that Josh Herman has never once said to any partner. No further arguments. And what did I do in the end? Well, it is probably obvious. I took a bunch of the painkillers I smuggled in from Tijuana because Jale wouldn't go to the dentist, popped a few Xanax, then swallowed some Dramamine and grabbed my suitcase. So here's a, here's a fun quiz for the listeners at home. The sound, the sound you hear, is that me dragging my bag down the stairs or banging my head against the wall? Our answer when we return. Yes, yes, fine. Yes, okay. But before we go any further, we should address the ruminant in the room. Why? Why would I go? Why did I go? This is the question that keeps my psychiatrist kids in private school. Uh, you know what? Just let's let's just ask her. So I planned. I wanted to include Dr. Smith here, and I asked her, but all she wanted to talk about was how I can't get an erection unless I'm putting on makeup while someone pukes behind me. That's not true. Mostly not true. But she wasn't comfortable being recorded, and I wasn't comfortable broadcasting the secret recording I made of her. But we have similar thoughts. We're going to get to them in a second. But first, I outsourced my rumination for a bit, asking friends and family in, in between, like, why do you think I went? So here is Tot. That's Yiddish for dad. You wanted to show her that you weren't, that you weren't lying, that you weren't using it as an excuse. And you sort of wanted to not put it in her face, but just to show her that, you know, you were telling the truth the entire time. Mom, it's English for mother. I think you still went because you had promised her that you would go. And she was baiting you and make, trying to make you feel guilty. Um, now, were you ever thinking during all of this, what's wrong with our son, you and Todd? Or have you become habituated to even considering <laughs> Never. that question? Never. But of course, I was brought up by the most wonderful woman who always would say about relationships, if that person doesn't treat you right, there's something wrong with them because you are a wonderful human being. Oh my God. Little group chat with friend slash surgeon, Dr. Kevin Grant and friend slash enemy of my politics. It's go. Spite, like, okay, you don't think I want to go on this trip? I'm, I'm coming on the trip. I'm proving to you that I want to be on this trip. I might not want to be in this relationship anymore. So regardless, of how badly I should see it, you know, a doctor. I'm I'm going on this trip. There's also, you know, you'd been in a relationship with her for what three years at that point. You know, you're vomiting and she's putting on her makeup and she's yelling at you while you're, you know, pleading for medical help. Part of you is having an epiphany, which is this is over. This is not a good relationship. There's a lot of anger issues. There's abusive behavior, which you had noted earlier, you'd had previous fights about. But at the same time, you put the time in. So you go on the trip because while you know that it should be done, and even if she like 
had that final straw that broke the camel's back, you still aren't ready to turn the key. It's hard to make that move, even when you know you need to. Or maybe you thought the healthcare was better in New England? Uh, Bobby? It's an already. It's an already. That's why I want to know. That's why I want to learn. Uh, you know, you, you, what, what difference? You know, you, I want to be able to explain to people. You got the, you got the Holocaust people. I'm so, it's too much already. Okay. So much already. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. Just not, okay. It's enough already for me. And a random cashier I told the story to. So, do you want to donate $5 to help homeless pets or not? As to why I think I went, a lot of possibilities. I think many are worth a mention. So, to get them all out without boring you and me, let's just do this. From the creators of Family Freud and East Los Angeles Squares, it's... What the fuck is wrong with you? Yay! Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the show. As we're running short on time because of some arbitrary self-imposed time constraints, let's get right to it. You know how it's played. We'll give you the category and then read three statements. Two are true, one is false. You tell us which one is a goddamn lie. Here we go. Our first round is anxiety. Here are three anxiety-related reasons Josh thinks he went with Jalay. I was afraid to go. I was more afraid of what would happen if I didn't go. I thought I should put on my Hurt Locker suit before saying I wouldn't go, but I hadn't picked it up from the dry cleaner since my last break. Terrified of the next two weeks. I mean, what would I do? Would we just be arguing on the phone every night? And how would my, how would my stomach feel when she went out with like fuck buddies every night? Make your guesses, audience. That's right. The second statement is false. Josh had needed a Hurt Locker suit many times since his last breakup. Most recently, when he had to admit to Jale that he accidentally booked them not in a hotel, but in a hostel that used to be a YMCA. Shared bathrooms, folks. <laughs> this next round is sponsored by Effexor. Effexor, got serotonin? The topic is depression-related reasons I went. Which of these statements is false? At the time, I just wanted all the pain to go away. Emotional, physical, gas. After six years, Amelie suddenly broke up with me and disappeared. And sometimes during really bad scenes with Jalet, I'd think to myself, this is what you get for fucking it all up with Amelie. Depression ruined my last relationship. I didn't want it ruining this one. Or maybe I'm just a dramatic piece of shit. Looks like you all got that one. C is false. There's no maybe about it. Josh is absolutely a dramatic piece of shit. Affects her. It's easier than filling out CBT charts. Now for the pretentious round. To avoid blaming himself, Josh blames multiple cognitive biases. We'll let Josh give his convoluted explanation. You tell us which cognitive heuristic is holding him back. It's Sisyphus, right? I'm Sisyphus. I, I've been pushing this rock for three years, and what? I'm supposed to just supposed to just abandon it? I'm supposed to just let it let it go? And what, it, what, it's going to roll. It's going to roll down, and it's going to hurt someone. It's going to hurt her. If you said plan continuation bias, 
you've never dated Josh. This is the tendency for people to continue on their original course of action, even if it's leading to a fatal disaster. Herman, hit us with another. Because honestly, look, we'd been arguing all that morning in the last three years, and I'd been fighting with my intestines all night. I was fucking exhausted. Yep, that's an easy one for those with a Wikipedia article about it in front of them. This is ego depletion. Research shows that people who resist the temptation for chocolate are, later, less able to complete a frustrating puzzle. Next. You know, it was three years together. We worked through a bunch of arguments in the past. I, yeah, there was lots of bad, but I mean, she like credited me with her going back to school. We, you know, we built this life together. It was, yeah, it was poorly constructed, but it was ours. Did you catch that last clue? Well, that's right. This is the Ikea effect. Consumers and lovers place a disproportionately high value on products they created, even if they barely did. Still with us? Probably, because even if you hated that round, the Ikea effect and planned continuation bias means you're too invested to quit now. All right, let's boogie to the final challenge, the asshole round. We'll start to read a sentence, you complete it. But remember, Josh can be assholier than that. Sure, part of me wanted the trip to go very well, so... So when the breakup happened, it would be more devastating for her. Bonus points if you added, and her friends would be like, it was so great meeting him. During the flight, a part of me wanted something terrible to happen stomach-wise, for her to feel horribly guilty about making me go. Yep, you know what that sound means. Josh's friend has arrived to take him to LAX. We'll just read the last one for you. In the end, I can say unequivocally that if I hadn't taken all that Xanax and Tramadol and I wasn't a coward, I almost probably, definitely would not have gone. Hope you had fun playing our game. And as you watch Josh drag himself and his suitcase to the car, remember to ask that dramatic piece of shit. What the fuck is Imagine the stream in Sedona. The side of the rocks stacked on top of each other. Remembering what it felt like to sit with your toes in the cool water. So that is what I was trying to play on my mind's iPod, as for parents, on the drive to LAX. For some reason, Itzgo took a photo or a selfie of all of us during the drive. Itzgo, can you describe the photo uh, and tell us why the hell you would take that? Like, why, why would I want to remember this moment? I do recall it, and first thing that came to my mind was the boy who cried wolf. She didn't believe you because of all your shenanigans you played with her. Ah, uh, okay, well, well, we're definitely gonna edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were crying in this photo, that your relationship's over? I, I was out of tears by this point. I cried that morning. <sighs> so, 
there was the setup, Itsuko did not provide the payoff. So I need to explain the photo quick. Itsuko's face, uh, I'm in the back seat of the car, my hands over my eyes, uh, glasses on my head, earplugs. You can't see my eyes, but pure misery. Well, like I said, it's the kind of photo our parents would love to see, yet we are really deeply depressed and miserable inside. You're just showing it one way and I'm showing it another way. But the best moments to remember are the indifferent moments. We don't think we want to remember. And obviously you want to remember this. That's why we're on this call. Uh, kind uh, of like a candid photo shot. More interesting. More interpretations. I, I'm, I'm saying more that I'm trying to work through it all. This I has more interpretations than a Van Gogh. If, if you had sent me this picture, knowing both of you, with no, no explanation of what was going on, I would not have known that you were ill, but you're obviously, like, either carsick, ill, or Itzko has just said something, and you're like, oh. I did. No, I Dangerous. seriously considered calling it a bomb threat. <laughs> but I thought if she found out, it'd be a much worse blast radius yeah, than, like, yes. a nuclear bomb. No, if you were, yes, I did. I told her I'd go to the airport with her, but I wasn't sure if yeah. I'd enter LAX. I might have you drive yeah. me to the nearest ER. This is usually the way Herman looks happy. No, I wasn't, I was fun. not being, no, I wasn't being dramatic. I, I kept wanting to feel better. And I, I cannot overstate the amount of pain of having a gas pocket. I, I, and it, that's even if it was a gas pocket, I remain concerned that it was something much, much worse. I do remember that. When I, again, this was, Based on experience where I had a horrible gas pocket. This is me talking to Dr. Piper, the gastroenterologist again. I was due to fly. I didn't want to fly because I thought of a water bottle and how it crushes and expands in the flight. Mm -hmm. And I imagine mm -hmm. the gas pocket reacting the same way and rupturing. Was there even a 0.01% chance of that occurring? Or was that all in my that's head? A, that's a, no, that's a good point. So um, the risk of perforation is pretty low. There has been studies that have shown that atmos uh, like atmosphere changes, like flying an airplane, can make gas symptoms worse. So I don't think you're at risk for perforation unless you had a mechanical issue happening at that time, but you may be at risk for getting worse symptoms. Okay, that's enough. I wish I had you around to call. During Southwest the Airlines is paging Josh Herman. Josh Herman, this is your final boarding call. So if everything else is like white noise, your name cuts right through it. So I woke up on the toilet when I heard my name. Josh Herman. Checked my phone. Jalay hadn't come to find me. And she'd switched our seat. And if you know how Southwest works, where you line up by letter and number, you know that this meant that I got the literal worst seat on the flight. Uh, it's a PS, as long as we're on this rant. Window seat gets the wall to sleep against. Aisle seat gets legroom and easy access. Middle seat gets both armrests. That's the trade-off. Ladies and gentlemen, Southwest Airlines, welcome to Baltimore. This is what I remember from that flight. Media not found. Yeah, my Xanax system would have tested positive for tramadol.
you know, there's those cars that you have to, with breathalyzers in them, so you need to breathe into them before they start to make sure your blood alcohol level isn't too high. What should come standard is the breathalyzer that matters like cortisol levels. So you're not stuck for long periods of time in a small car arguing. Uh, I thought that, might have said it, not very lucid at the time. It goes without saying what I'm about to say. I should not have been behind the wheel, but Maryland. So I popped Adderall and caffeine to undo the effects of the Xanax, which is actually the same psychopharmological chronology of the first day I met her. This I didn't want to, but I needed to be awake for the drive to Thurmont. So Thurmont, it's a small town, hinterland of Maryland, 10 miles or so from the Pennsylvania border. It's actually near Camp David. Jalais said that me not getting up to use the bathroom during the flight was proof that I was lying. Uh, I said it was proof that I'd passed out from all the drugs I... Yeah, never once have I been able to figure out a rental car's or my car's Bluetooth. So Jalais' favorite song kept intermittently playing on the drive. Anyway, and so, car makers won't add cortisol breathalyzers. Let me at least suggest ways adding a function to direct you out of arguments. Stop talking about this. Do not continue on this train of thought. But even with the best of GPSs, there was one drive I couldn't avoid. Mine towards a certain type of woman. The multi-armed divine feminine who pulls you in for a hug with two hands, pushes you away with two more, and promises you the others hold bouquets or bayonets. I worshipped the bitch gods. This is a perfect woman for you. So melodramatic. So before the letters come in and emails asking what letters are, I don't, I do not mean it pejoratively. I'm using bitch in like the Elizabeth Wurzel sense. It's not, concept isn't that easy to explain. Uh, it's like, it's like Justice Potter Stewart's definition of porn. I could never succeed in intelligibly describing it, but I know it when I see it. Yes, what a, what a great line to use in a purely auditory format. You know, as long as we're on this concept, let's, Think of the Old Testament God. I am, I am God, 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 is God, God is It's like vicious, but loving, but demanding sacrifices, but giving you mana. You know, it's probably, all right, it's just, let's just bring in a cliched revivalist preacher for a second. We are here. We are here today to give praise to the great bitch to raise our unworthy, trembling hands to proclaim, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to this miracle of Mrs. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, the bitch goddess has gone by many a name. Lilith, Delilah, Cleopatra, Kali. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They are 
not theatrical. But I ask you, why shouldn't they be watched at Sublime Theater? Amen. For they are wittier than Mark Twain Ooh. and more dramatic than any soaked opera. It's all true. You know it is. The bitch goddess walks into the room and you can feel her light. Can you feel it? Ooh, I feel it. You can't help but feel it. Mm. Why? Because they are a black hole of human attention. And these goddesses are discomfited in situations where they are not the alpha focus. But tell me this. Why would your attention want any other? No, 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 no. This is what your eyes were created for. Turn down your microphone. Our goddess of bitch is a temptress who could out-seduce Jezebel. <laughs> oh, mercy! Oh, mercy! None are worthy! And then, once you're worshipping, she leaves you dangling Ooh. and suffering Ooh. and praying. <sighs> please, please, oh, my sweet goddess, please stop! And give me more! Give me fucking more! Let us now raise our voices with a gospel from the book of John Oates. Oh, I wouldn't if I were you. I know what she can do. She's deadly man. She could really rip your world apart. Mind over matter. The beauty is there, but a beast is in the heart. Amen. Amen. Now that Reverend Cliched Revivalist Preacher has explained what a bitch goddess is, let me say Jale wasn't. She lacked, she lacked the narcissism of a bitch goddess. Like, bitch goddesses, they know their goddess's gift to a room. They would have never said this line. Oh, I'm very confident about myself. As long as there's no other women around. But the rest, the rest of the BG's work. Let's say Jalet was a demi-bitch goddess or diet bitch goddess. And I worship the word. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You better, better get some hand cream. Lots of, lots of jerking coming. Don't want anyone, anyone chafing. So dropping off subtlety in case it's not clear, two things I love most in the world, lines and borderlines, especially when they're combined. Insult me, just entertain me while you're doing it. So every time a bitch goddess or demi-bitch goddess has said, oh no, I can't say that, it's too offensive. I always say, your feelings will pass, the line will live on. And Jelly was right. Uh, referencing cocaine, she said, Lines are your lines. Sure, that was convoluted. All of it can be summed up in this exchange with us. Why are you being a dick? You thought it was funny. And I did, because I love like, mordant humor. So that stinging, biting, painful humor. Problem is when that mordant stinger is stripped of its humor and aimed at you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh my God. So in case you have healthy relationships and have no idea what I'm talking about, let me just do another quick minute on this. So shared cynicism, it makes you feel like it's you and her versus the optimistic world. 
And the best cynical humor comes from someone, say a poet, with a keen insight into humanity. The kind of person who would say of her college friend, She found alcohol the way some people find Jesus and wouldn't shut the fuck up about how great it was. But what it also means is that this person has a keen insight into what hurts you the most. So your feelings will pass, the line will live on. Yeah, it works, but it also works for painful lines, and lines I can't forget or tweeze out with therapy or rewriting or ruminating. It's how I can't stop hearing the line she'll soon sting me with. I used to love you. Now I don't even like you. So during, during previous stings, while crying in the bathroom, you tell, you tell yourself, once you get back to LA, it's over. Then you have a great day. She has a great line. And you convince yourself again that intermission is the show. So friends and therapists harassed me for liking drama. I would have, I would have said stimulation and difficult women. I would have said strong. And yeah, the anguish of not knowing whether I'd be reaching for a recorder or Prozac induced a number of debilitating panic attacks, pleading the obvious question, why stay with her? I think, I think it's the same reason I had been in Jerry's while lactose intolerant. When it wasn't making me vomit, fucking delicious. Some things sometimes are worth excruciating stomach pain. Because I love you. <laughs> I don't I don't buy it. <laughs> I, I, don't even, do. I don't buy anything, including that. So then I called my mother and put her on speakerphone and told her to tell Jalet what it was like having a gas pocket. Siri, please delete me. I am fucking out. Wait, 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 wait. As I was calling, I told Jalet I haven't said anything to her. My mom, they know nothing about what's going on, which was a complete lie. So we'd stop for 30 minutes so Jalet could eat dinner. And while she waited for the food to arrive, I told her I was going to a nearby grocery store to get a thank you cake for her sister. So standing in the bakery aisle, uh, I called my parents and told them everything that happened that morning. I told them... I remember the call. The, the thing that I remember the most is you had checked with the airlines and you could have left on a different plane later in the day. And she was just very insistent that you go at that time. And then she started throwing out things like you never wanted to go anyways and all that. That's, that's, that's Todd. That's my father sneezing repeatedly in the background. Bless you, Todd. Okay. Is he done? Is he done? Because all of that audio is now unusable. All that audio is unusable. Really? Do you remember what I said? Bakery? Yes. You said to remind me, if I think about continuing this relationship, please remind me that she made you go on a plane when you had a gas pocket. I can't even, when I have one, I can't just barely make it upstairs to lay down in my bed when I have one of those, let alone go to an airport, walk through the airport and get on a plane and then sit on a plane for five hours. I will remind you of that if you think that this is the woman for you. Yes. So that is... Because that whole episode was so unpleasant. It's not even the word for it. But it wasn't as unpleasant as when I got there. How you yeah. Were. Well, that's a later... Okay. That's a later episode. Thank you. Thank you. That is my actual mother. I called her and asked her what she remembered 
from the car. Do you have to remember Jale's response during that as we were on speakerphone? Wasn't it like, did Josh tell you to do this? Is that um, what she said? I don't know if she even got that out. Uh, I remember her starting to cry. Do you remember when mm. she started crying? Yes. I also called Jale and asked her what she remembered from the car. Josh. You wouldn't suck it like that. I didn't call her, but I imagine that would have been the response based on her reaction at the time. As my mother explained Berlin Herman gas pockets, Jale started crying while my mom was still on the phone. And as my frozen testicles entered my throat and I hung up, she said, I will never forgive you. She grabbed the phone to toss it out the window. We'd accidentally put the child lock on the window and the window wouldn't go down and it bounced off the window into the back seat. We, we turned on to her sister's street. So I remember this very, I remember this very clearly. We, we pulled up under the street lamp by her sister's house. There's like giant, these giant moths flying around the street lamp. And I, I turned to her. So it had been like 40 hours without sleep now, a little longer without food, like, two planes across the U.S. and another like 70 miles to Thurmont. I was exhausted, obviously, and I was ready to collapse. But I thought, I'm here. I made it. I did it. I'm here with her. And I turned off the car. And she turned to me under, under the street lamp and she said, No, 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 no. What the fuck do you think you're doing? You are not fucking staying here with us. Well, I, well, am I going to go? Where, You're where, not. It's the middle of I don't no, give I don't, a fuck. I don't give a fuck. You can find a place to stay. You're just not going to stay here. Shut up. You're not fucking staying here. It's the middle of the night. What, what I do? don't give a fuck. Sleep in the woods. They're going to hear you. I can't Yeah, I know they can fucking hear me. They're my family. He's not staying. What am I going to stay? No, stop it. He's not staying. You know the day I've had. Back up. Back up. <sighs> Fuck you, dude. Can I? Fuck you. Fuck you. Please can stay I, away from me. Please. I, can, please stay away from me. Can I, can I at least use the bathroom before I go? While you put on makeup. On part two of I Used to Love You, Now I Don't Even Like You. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. The horror. 
When you have a relationship with the nurses, then you have my permission to cry. It's like a train that got into wreck and then somehow ends up on another railway and then keeps getting in, in train crashes over and over again on that trip. Oh my god. Okay, okay, goodbye. Just not, okay.